welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, and I am one of your co-hosts for today, and I am here with my friend and colleague. Uh, hi, I'm Jessica. Nice to see you. <laughs> and we're here today with a really cool super fan slash author of a really great new book that we are so excited to talk about. Can I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Yeah, I am Lily Anderson, and I am the author of Big Bad, which is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer novel. So much fun. Yeah, you know, that was like one of the the things um, that that you put out for different ARCs and different ARCs come your way. And usually anything Buffy related, Jen and I are all. um, And this one was special. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It's very special to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know I have a lot to talk about, but I'm going to um, I'll, I'll let Jen start. Go ahead. Sure. So, yeah, my first question is probably a good intro, broad question, because um, you are now a Buffy creator, but you started out as a Buffy super fan. And, you know, we're all fans, too. And I'm just wondering, like, what your journey from fan to creator was like? Well, I started out as, um, yeah, just a regular viewer. Actually, it's a show that my dad was watching and I was making fun of him for watching. Like, oh, I can't believe you're watching some show for teenagers. And I happened to catch um, an episode of season six and just absolutely fell in love with the show. As a young kid, I'd seen the original movie, the Christy Swanson movie, and loved it, had it on VHS. Um, And the show is just so different and so smart and by season six, very serious. Um, And so it really just sort of captured my imagination and it what really was one of my first fandoms. Um, And so I'd been writing for a few, I mean, I've been writing professionally for about seven years now. And my editor at Disney was like, hey, so in the Disney Fox merger, we got the license to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a couple of your books have been compared to Buffy. You know, do you have any interest in writing in the universe? And I could not believe it. It really was like, oh, it felt like a prank. Like, do I want to write about Buffy? Yes, of course I do. Anything, any, absolutely anything you could give me, I would do. Um, And so I wrote the most unhinged synopsis I could think of and was like oh they'll tell me no they'll pull me back and I could not believe when they were like yeah write it write write the whole book it was so much fun um everything about this book was pure joy I don't know if it is too much to give away and we can totally edit this out if it isn't but any Buffy universe book which begins with Walter Mears being like killed in the yeah. first. Yeah. Is awesome. And, um, you know, Walter, Walter Mears, uh, sorry, Warren, Warren Mears, any, any, <laughs> any book where Warren Mears is killed off in the first um, few pages is awesome. Uh, that is not the entirety of the book, but uh, he's actually a local 
Um, he he's from yeah. Really? You didn't know that, Jen? I think he's from East Meadow. I had no idea. Wow. Oh, totally. I used to actually. There used to be a club that I used to go to, and they used to advertise one of his bands, um, Adam Bush. But yeah, no, uh, man, like if you like a character that just like needed to be punched repeatedly was him. Mm -hmm. So that was awesome. Um, and just everything else about the book was super, super fun. Where so where did the idea come from? It was like one of the most off the walls, but also authentic feeling Buffy books I think I've ever read. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Um yeah, my editor at Disney came to me with the idea of a Buffy suicide squad. And so really wanted it to be villains focused. And I think that Disney's done that for their sort of cartoon villains. You know, there's um, lots of villain centric books out. And so they wanted to see what they could do with the Buffy villains. And they that was all they gave me was a Buffy suicide squad. All the villains get together to stop the Slayer. What can you do with that? And yeah, the first thing I said was, okay, well, if you want me to deal with the villains, I get to kill Warren. And I, that's one of the things that I thought that they would put their foot down about, that they would say, no, you know, you can't sweep the trio. And they were like, yeah, okay. And I was like, oh, okay, what else can I do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really wanted to sort of push the envelope of what we know these villains to be, who we know their friends are, and um yeah, their various relationships. So getting to see, you know, an angel or an Angelus who never got his soul back. So he's still hanging out with Spike and Drusilla, but Darla has um, left the group. Um, and being able to see Glory in her full God form. And I just wanted as many of those villains as possible. And if I couldn't, stick them into this alternate universe then i have buffy going through other universes to take down their big bads and so th then we get some of the villains that i didn't think would play well on a team oh i just loved it uh i'm gonna stop hogging jen go for it <laughs> <laughs> well i love like everything that you just said and it's so interesting to me um dealing with this like alternate universe of uh you know an established like world the buffy verse and i'm wondering like you know when you do an alternate universe i feel like people think that you can just kind of like do whatever you want and that you can like ignore canon and just like just write you know but i think that like in a lot of interesting ways like alternate universes need you to know the canon really well because you kind of have to like know the rules in order to break them and so i'm wondering like did you revisit buffy or did you like re refresh your knowledge of like the canon in order to like break the rules for an alternate universe oh definitely um I def I I'm always sort of in the midst of a rewatch you know whenever the mood strikes I'm like oh I want to see this episode um I really had to go back in and say like okay I need to see some Jonathan focused episodes because he's one of the point of view characters and as uh, the same with Anya you know, making sure that the wish really is, you know, season three's the wish is sort of the touchstone that the book is based on. The whole alternate universe is sort of a wish verse, you know, a, a world without shrimp, but this is a world without the sun. Um, and so starting there with, okay, so if this is an alternate universe. What does that mean for the other universes? Where is our Buffy canon 
actually <laughs> in relation to this universe. Um, and so I watched the show. I was listening to rewatch podcasts, especially Buffering the Vampire Slayer, um, because they have such a great point of view on the show and really will get into the minutia of, you know, like the the quest for Camelot poster at the movie theater. And I'm like, yes, this is the sort of detail I require. Um, and then I was also just so lucky to have the fan-made Buffy Wikipedia. There's so much information there. So anytime I was like, wait, exactly what year was Angel born? It's just right there. It's just something you can Google. And as someone who usually writes her own books and you can't just type in like, what's the answer to this question that I need to know right now? It's such a gift. It was incredible. Yeah, that's all really cool, you know, and I one thing that I think is like you can clearly see that is a product of your like deep knowledge of the Buffy verse is that like your dialogue is like pitch perfect. Like you get the snarkiness perfectly and you get the like subtleties of their like character dynamics, you know, because these characters have history and like we know some of that history because like not everything is different from, you know, what we encountered in the show. And so I think that like, that research really paid off. And so I'm wondering like, what was it like to, to, what is it like when you are trying to capture a voice that is like so unique, you know? It's interesting. I, and at the same time, I think it it's almost easier than writing an original character because these people, these characters have lived in my head for 20 years, 20 plus years. And so when I think about how Anya speaks, I think in Emma Caulfield's voice. And it's just sort of like, oh, is that something she would say? And it's sort of easier because they all have that very distinct speaking voice that is comes from the actor and then of course you have the Buffy speak you know the way that everyone talks um yeah and so it sort of it's very interesting to have those voices coming through my head and being able to just use them as is I think as a writer normally I'm like oh that sounds too much like uh Willow uh, thing to say and in this book I guess got to go oh no this is <laughs> this is the time to sort of flex that it's very interesting um, as someone I never wrote Buffy fan fiction because the show gave me everything I wanted and so and after it was you know after the show is canceled there were the comics and so I've never been without Buffy this whole time and so this was a very cool experience to get to sort of write fan fiction that's also canonical it's wild <laughs> so wait a second first of all that just blew my mind because i was telling jen earlier that this is like the best it felt fan fictiony in the best fan fiction way like it, there there used to be a term and i can't remember what it was for fan fiction that was like off the walls but just fun and i just can't remember what it was um you know, uh, but I do have a question for you. And this is just something I really need to know. Did, and I'm not going to say where it is or what it is. But um, did you slip in a reference to what we do in the shadows? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It. I knew it. <laughs> awesome. I'm not going to say anything about um, where it is. 
but it was so perfect and it was so subtle and it was just like in the right spot that I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what this is, but even if it isn't, it's hilarious, but it can't not be. Yeah. I just think that it's just such a shame that Nadja and Drusilla can't meet and be best friends. I just wish that they could be in the same universe. This is this might be the first fan fiction that I write for the show that isn't published by a major publisher. Um, because, yeah, I love what we do in the shadows. And so, yeah, there is definitely there's a sneaky reference to that. There's also a sneaky reference to Evil Dead. Um, which has my second favorite demons. And so, and those were both moments where my editor and my copy editor were like, this isn't canonical to this, to this universe. And I was like, let me have it. Let me have my treats. It was super. (laughs) Yeah, that is so cool. You know, and I love that, like, it works on so many levels because like even in what we do in the shadows like they in that show there is the implication that like all vampire stories all the ones that we know that are super famous like happen in the same universe you know yes and so it's just not like it gives it like a little bit of extra like weight to like have these like connected fandoms and I love that yeah and like something that I did love is that like in addition to all that stuff, like all of the pop culture references that the characters make are like period appropriate, you know, to like what they would have been, what they would have seen, you know, but like in the like in the time that they were there. Um, yeah, it's just like it's a really fun like walk through pop culture. And I think that's one of the reasons why Buffy is so beloved is because like the show itself loves pop culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it lives in our world and that helps to sort of ground it in this could be happening in a small Southern California town in 1997 through 2002 or three. Um, And so, yeah, I love that. I do that in all of my work. And so this book is really an opportunity to use the references that when writing YA, my editors are like, Children don't know what this is. You can't quote Josie and the Pussycats. That movie came out in 1999. Um, But 1999 is just a seminal year for pop culture. And so setting the book there was just such, such fun for being able to sort of have my cake and eat it too, Of especially when it comes to Jonathan and Andrew just being the biggest nerds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So the pre- there's a prequel out. A Star Wars prequel, it's out. The first Matrix movie's out. Lord of the Rings isn't out on as a movie yet, but they've definitely read the books. And I just got to play in the best sandbox and also sort of invent things for them that didn't exist. Um, Because it's an alternate universe, so I do what I want. (laughs) So did you have, like, a specific character that you had the most fun writing? Or, like, can you not pick just one? I think the most fun character to write for is probably Drusilla because, I mean, she's incredible. She's just an incredible character um, and with such a defined point of view, that sort of dreamy, I mean, she's like almost an Adams Family character. She's just so macabre, but so cute. And those moments of lucidity at odds with just how absolutely bonkers she is so much fun um I spent a lot of time looking through like what are Victorian nursery rhymes just to give her things to say um 
as far as point of view characters, I just loved, I loved writing for Anya. I think that Anya is just such an underrated character, even though everyone loves her, but she just didn't get enough time on the show because it's Buffy's show and she just has main character energy. She should have just gotten a spinoff that was just her doing whatever wild thing she wanted. And that's what this book is. Like making money and capitalism. <laughs> Anya, I, 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 you could like do like a whole like band spinoff, like, uh, like a, what is it? I'm, I'm just like imagining almost like a reality show, like Pawn Stars, but like Anya. Yes. Things, right. <laughs> yeah. Cause she's just the toughest negotiator, you know, like she's just so no nonsense and out for herself in the best way. I, yeah, I just adore her. And yeah, she definitely could have. I don't know why we just don't have like a whole series of comics that are just like Anya takes over the entire world. <laughs> yeah, I think that like that's one of the things that makes novels like set in, you know, the world of TV shows so good is because like there are so many characters that like you absolutely fall in love with who just like don't get enough screen time because of like the needs of serial television and the need to focus the main character and, you know, like changing story priorities and stuff like that. And so like when you write about it, you can really give characters who didn't get their due uh, like a little bit more time. And I think that that is absolutely true for both Drusilla and Anya. Like they're both such like iconic characters and they, but like they do that, they achieve that with like not as much screen time as like a lot of other characters, you know, were there, what were the other characters who you were like, these are people who didn't get their due on screen? Oh, Jonathan. The reason why Jonathan is the third point of view, the third, you know, main character of the book is because the show Obviously, there's obviously a love for Jonathan, especially because of the superstar episode where he does get to be the main character. Um, but also they give him one of the most unfair, awful deaths of any character. Everyone always talks about how Tara's death was unnecessary and shouldn't have happened. But I contend that Jonathan has the worst death on the show. It's not fair. His murderer is then just part of the gang. Everyone's like, yeah, it's fine. He just killed like one of our high school friends like awful um so i definitely think that he needed to have more screen time and more of an internal life and that's really what making him a point of view character was was trying to look at how he became the person he is and what his home life would have been like and because this is an alternate universe it is a world where he and andrew and warren all go to school together on the show warren doesn't go to sunnydale high um and in the book, I made it so that he did just so that you have a slightly different perspective of what it would have been like if Jonathan had had sort of a an evil protector throughout high school um, and how that would have changed him. And also just giving both him and Andrew a chance to look at Warren and say like, oh, that wasn't right. We shouldn't have been following that guy. Um, he it made us feel safe, but it made us the bad guys. And I love that putting them with a bunch of vampires and warlocks and um, whatever the mayor is, evil um, sorcerers. Politician. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you. That's the word. <laughs> Politician. Um, that really gives uh, both Andrew and Jonathan sort of, the perspective to go oh the worst person we ever knew was just some 
awful high school incel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, you know, and I've noticed like sometimes like I look at other uh, properties like um, I know this is going to sound so like off out of left field, but like my kids, they love Megamind. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. But like I, I look at that and I'm like, man, like the actual bad guy in that movie is actually an incel <laughs> who's yeah. ticked off that like the Tina Fey character won't date him and you know like I, I i'm a huge fan by the way and this circles back to big bad about any properties involving villains so you know like for me like between like wreck it ralph megamind and um what is it um despicable me i'm like okay oh, this yeah really nice like you know like pyramid of like cgi animated bad guys who have redeeming qualities but i do remember you know just kind of like watching that and being like oh yeah like really like toxic masculinity is actually like the bad guy in this and you know i think um there's a lot of that with warren too and you know the fact that he does like he he does only want women he can control hence all the robots and then mm-hmm does to his actual flesh and blood girlfriend and i like that you gave some perspective to um well jonathan about you know like the the robots and how he feels about them and then you know andrew's a different story altogether because uh, obviously warren is going to assume well you know geeky nerd guy wants hot woman but andrew's a different story andrew's not not into that he's gay Right, which is also something that the show never just lets him say there, you know, and obviously it was very powerful to have Willow and Tara on TV in the early aughts. Like, we can't take anything away from that. But there is something about the fact that the show is comfortable making fun of Andrew and having Warren and Jonathan sort of constantly gay bash him in very from minor to micro to macro aggressions um but never just give him the moment of being like yeah i am a gay man i i want to be in a relationship with men and it's just sort of never there it's always sort of coded um and i really wanted that in the book to sort of be addressed of like no he knows who he is and he doesn't you know there's no self-hatred there it's just sort of something that he hasn't had time to address because they live in a constant state of apocalypse um but it is also something that warren is taking advantage of and again it's something that the show doesn't do enough with in my opinion is the fact that yes warren is awful to women and you see that a lot with the way that like he obviously treats his girlfriends and the robot and buffy herself but that misogyny also extends to how he's treating men he sees as inferior or that he sees as feminine and andrew just gets i mean andrew's a very complicated character and i could write a whole nother book that's just about him um and i'm glad that he gets his redemption arc but at the same time they also just make him do so many awful things and never really address it just sort of like yeah he does a bunch of terrible stuff and 
it's fine because Warren dies. Like, it's not fine. He's going to have to wrestle with a lot of things. That is super interesting. And I think that, like, it's another way that, like, your writing makes the characters a little bit more complex, you know? Especially because, like, when you compare season, like, six or seven characters to season one characters, like, sometimes in any show, like, the characters just become a little bit more, like, reduced to their, like, most obvious traits, or they just, like, certain elements are, like, you know, they just become kind of more, like, characters of of the caricatures of themselves. And something that this book does is, like, restore a little bit of that nuance to these characters, you know, especially who were just, like, such established types by the time that the show was wrapping up. And I absolutely see that with, like, Jonathan, because I think that, like, another thing about villains that you see with him is that like villains don't know they're villains like no one you know like they don't set out to do evil they just they're doing what they think is right from their like weird perspective even if like that is valorizing evil but like since jonathan in this book is like freed from like warren's control he gets to sort of like reconsider his actions in a way that just make him like a little bit more deep as a character yeah and it's something that i think the show could have done with him because again it's something we see in superstar where he makes this huge choice and the same thing happens in earshot where he's starting to make these big choices and then when he's confronted with them he goes like oh i just felt powerless and i just wanted that to stop Mm -hmm. and the show once the trio is established never really gives him a chance away from warren to have that moment of like oh we're the bad guys we're the worst like (laughs) everything we're yes exactly (laughs) right yes fully yes he should there should just be that whole sketch should just happen inside the show and that's really what big bad is is a chance for all the monsters do know that they're the baddies that's the point you know they know that they're you know they're killing people just constantly that's their job they you know the vampires are eating people the demons are taking advantage of people or making pocket universes where they're tortured forever but andrew and jonathan have this moment of like well we were just trying to survive you know we were just trying to get by and then have to sort of step back and go oh i guess we were we did feel that because we were so intellectually superior to everyone that we deserve to subjugate them. And I guess that's bad. Like, I feel like in our reality, like in our world, both Andrew and Jonathan, well, if Jonathan had lived to see it, would have seen the first Avengers movie and been like, yeah, Loki's really got a point. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> it would have just sort of clicked for them in that moment of like yeah you can't just be being the smartest guy in the room actually doesn't mean that you get to control everybody else that's bad so like one thing I do want to know is who did you decide like where did you decide like you know what I'm not gonna have this character in you had so many fun cameos um and like you you made like one particular villain who I always thought was like a snore, super fun for like two seconds. I don't want to say who it was. Um, oh, but, but I'm so interested. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe after we stop recording, you'll have to tell yeah. me. Uh, but was there anybody, like any point where you're just like, you know what? Like, I, I just don't see this person fitting into the story and I'm just not going to bother. Uh, yeah, Xander. There is no Xander. <laughs> there's there are i mean xander exists in a sort of like 
Buffy in not being in her own universe thinks like, oh, my friend Xander and Willow. Um, but he has no bearing on the story. Part of that is because it's so Anya focused. And I just, I love Anya before she gets together with Xander. I understand for the conventions of TV in order to sort of make her part of the group, that's the easiest way to do it is to be like, yeah, you're this guy's girlfriend. And that's why everyone else has to deal with you. Um, but yeah, Xander is the character, I think, who ages the least well. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> um, and some of it is, you know, what we yeah. considered to be what we consider toxic masculinity to be now in the 90s um, was definitely sort of like, no, no, no. But if you're not like a cool jock, then you can be as toxic as you want to be. Um, and that's wrong and bad. And it makes it very hard to watch some of the show. Um, I've also never forgiven him for leaving Anya at the altar even after and the fact that everything he did after that point like he yeah. just there's no oh no 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 I mean no. yeah that's really where the show sort of stops for me is it's sort of like I can watch the beginning of <laughs> I can watch the beginning of Hell's Bells and then I'm like and we're done the end they get married everything's fine or she I don't yeah it's it's hard. Um, but Xander is a very difficult character to rationalize in this day and age. And so I just sort of snip, snip, he's gone. He's not in this. Um, he has no bearing here. There is a willow in the alternate, um, in our alternate reality. She's vampire willow. What happened to vampire Xander? Who can say? Who knows? I don't know. Got staked uh, on a fence post because he tripped and just dusted himself who who knows he just he's just not here and that's what counts so he xander was the only character that i was like absolutely not i don't want to deal with him um otherwise yeah everyone else i'm like there are things there are characters that i'm i would save in the event that i get a sequel which we sort of see in the in the very last scene of the book i sort of set up like here's what i would do with book two um where everyone that i was like oh how do i get them in here um i save just in case i really hope they do give you a book too so that you can come back and talk about it because this one was just so much fun and it's been such a great time talking to you about it um so if you do get to do book two or if you do any other book like please come back and talk to us <laughs> Oh, I would be delighted. Thank you so much for having me. You're so, so welcome. Um, yes, listeners, um, you absolutely need to read Big Bad. It is so much fun. Super this fun. So much fun. We, we didn't and we didn't even get to talk about Buffy in the book. Oh yeah. Oh, but you know uh, what? She's yeah. Such a big surprise that I almost like I'm like, cool. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she existed as Buffy, but I really, you know, like it like she was the big bad in this story. You know, it was really about Demon Dale and about the villain. And Buffy was Buffy, and we know her because she's Buffy, but this whole alternate universe was just so awesome. Yeah, it really was. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah. All right, listeners. Uh, so this has been Jen and my co-host. Jessica. In conversation with Lily Anderson. Thank you for listening. And it is now time to close this chapter.
it's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.